Welcome to Treasure Mountain, the podcast that inspires and guides people to find the treasure within human experience. I'm your host, Sol Hanna. In this episode of Sage Advice, we have as our guest Leanne Tang from Perth, Western Australia. Leanne Tang, PhD, is an experienced spiritual life coach, guide, and mentor. Leanne's life changed dramatically when she found herself in the midst of a dark night of the soul whilst raising her two young children. She searched the world and was fortunate to find wise and compassionate Buddhist meditation masters to guide her on her journey. At that time, she had already explored the depths of Western understanding through a Bachelor of Psychology, a Master of Science, a PhD in Neuropsychiatry and postgraduate training in Psychoanalytic Psychotherapy. Her subsequent practice under the tutelage of great meditation masters led her to the first of her spiritual awakenings. Since then, she has studied closely under numerous other masters who have encouraged her to share her insights through her unique way of connecting with her students. I hope that this episode of Sage Advice gets listeners to take a fresh look at mental illness from the point of view of spiritual practice. And I hope that this interview with Leanne Tang will help some people to stop asking the question, what's wrong with me? And start thinking, this difficult mind state that I have at this time may be the opportunity I need to learn and grow. So join us as we seek for the treasure within. Welcome to Treasure Mountain, Leanne. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing just fine. It's a beautiful day here in Witchcliffe. Uh, I hope it's just the same in Perth. It's beautiful here, yeah. <laughs> we are so, so blessed and fortunate to live where we do. Anyway, I think we might just get st stuck straight into it. Um, I think a good place for us to start this conversation would be to clarify what we mean by mental illness, because you are a spiritual life coach. You're a long-time meditator, but you also have a Bachelor of Psychology and a PhD in Neuropsychiatry. Could we start by trying to understand what we mean by mental illness in general and maybe some just broad types of mental illness? Okay. Um, now, men mental illness is a, is a phrase that's used that's sometimes useful and sometimes not. And so I think we need to sort of start off with that, that reality. It's useful in the sense of a diagnosis from a clinician to be able to ascertain perhaps what medication might need um, um, to be prescribed or what, um, what specific treatments might need, be needed for, for that. But it also comes with a stigma. And I think we need to be very mindful of that fact such that we don't cluster people into this, this word, this, this phrase, mental illness, and um, have them inadvertently stuck in it. And by that, I mean, if someone is classified with a specific um, mental illness, they can often identify with that, solely with that. And that's, mm. um, and that creates a huge, huge problem because they become powerless in the face of their experiences. What we're to really talking about is experiences of life. So if they're experiencing sadness, for example, let's just talk about that as it is in terms of the real 
life experience as opposed to I am depressed, which mean, which puts you in the center of this thing that is called depression that you can't get out of. That's the formation of the atta, the, the self within that, whereas you can acknowledge that there is sadness right now and immediately um, come from the space of mindfulness in terms of your experience. Similarly with anxiety and, sorry, go ahead. So you're saying that people kind of like they they almost have to live up to the label and that kind of creates a, a boundary in some ways, do you, would you say? Yeah, it creates a place of stuckness. Like every concept that we have, it can be useful or not useful. And so while it is useful, let's make use of those terms. Uh, but when they are no longer useful, um, let's be conscious not to um, fixate on, on that. Um, so as I said, you know, you can, people identify with being depressed as opposed to recognize that there are times when they are feeling more down and other times when they're not feeling down. Even people who identify as being depressed are not always, always down. Right. Now, one of the things I, I wanted to cover in this conversation is the idea that, um, mental illness could is not like you say it's not something which we're necessarily stuck in and that it is an experience but there's a lot to that a lot of different dimensions to that experience and maybe maybe also it's perhaps a pointer to uh how we could um, move on to in a, in a spiritual direction and find a lot of meaning and purpose however before i go there I want to ask you are there some types of mental illness that really need professional assistance as opposed to say going straight onto a meditation retreat um yeah absolutely i think there are when whenever people are in overwhelm so so let's 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 talk about specific illnesses i guess um we can talk about depression if they're in too deep a depression going on a retreat is not necessarily a very very good idea if they are highly anxious and in a very fearful state um, and or suffering from PTSD or something like that, um, it might it's very very useful to actually work with a clinician um, to support them through that process. If people are um, in the midst of a psychotic episode, that is not a suitable time to be sitting on in retreat. But it doesn't mean that any of these people are not suitable for meditation. It just means in the strict intense retreat setting um it might not be the best idea or at least not the best starting spot perhaps yeah and and also different practices as well so for example metta mm. loving kindness practice is useful for everyone irrespective right. of what um um what they're experiencing whereas um a more samatha based practice um or on the breath let's say may not be the most suitable at different times Right, right. So would you say that um, uh, people can get psychotherapy and or medication and still undertake spiritual practice or maybe maybe even as a support in some cases? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think and I think I think this is it's really important to be able to acknowledge when that human contact is is more valuable or uh, necessary. 
Um, in meditation retreats, there are, of course, the teachers there, but they're not there in the same capacity as a therapist might be for the 50-minute hours that people see um, see them on a weekly basis. So the, the formation of the relationship is not quite the same um, when you're te- talking to your meditation teacher compared to when you're um, talking to your psychotherapist. And the two things can go together uh, quite absolutely. well, like, you know, complementary runaway. Absolutely, absolutely. Hmm. Okay, let's get on to the key question for this episode. Is mental illness a problem to be solved or an opportunity to discover our inner world? What do you think? Oh, it's the, the, the question for, for me sounds like, is life a problem to be solved or is it an opportunity to explore our inner world? Everything in life is an opportunity to explore our inner world from my perspective. Well, and, well said, um, well said. And so, in, um, so if we want to um, use the phrase mental illness, absolutely. Let's, but let's, let's, let's break it down a little bit more. What could it be is, is the fact that you're feeling really depressed at this moment, an opportunity to explore the, your inner world? Absolutely. How about, um, or is the fact that you are um, hypomanic right now, an opportunity to explore how your actions could affect you in a positive way or a detrimental way? That's another opportunity to explore your inner world and your actions and um, subsequent consequences of actions. Right, right. I, I, I really like the way you rephrase the whole question. You know, is life uh, a problem to be solved or is it an opportunity? But I, I do think that mental illness has a special quality. I and mean, particularly, it's, it's, it can be a hell of a lot of suffering. It can seem like the very worst form of suffering. Mm. Uh, is that something which you think can spur us, like motivate us to? to search for a more spiritual way to live or is it is it an impediment what's your thoughts on the issue of um the suffering that comes with some forms of mental illness it's most definitely something that that spurs a lot of people and certainly a lot of my students have been spurred through um through very difficult mental states um I think there's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, touching into the angst of existence um, is so shakes one to the soul, if one uses that word, um, and mm. and it can um, it can really lead to a serious search of the spiritual, which is um, I mean, I've I've spent over twelve years working with patients with cancer and um and their carers and there's nothing quite like a life-threatening diagnosis that reminds people of the finite nature of our precious existence and helps people reflect on what's most important for them and where they'd like to uh, where they'd like to direct their um their energies from um thereafter so and and for a lot of my um, patients, um, it is towards the spiritual. Um, for a lot of people who aren't facing the reality of our very very precious and finite existence, the our mortality is not not close enough to our faces for us to um, appreciate 
um, the urgency involved in this whole process. Um, but but certainly for most people I've come across, when when it is in their faces, it is the spiritual that people tend towards. And similarly, when people are in the depths of depression or in such a state of overwhelm or are in such a state of confusion or have had an episode of immense confusion, um, it certainly sort of shakes the system up to make them reflect on what they really would like to understand whilst living, whilst, whilst still alive. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've found that as a meditation teacher, the number of people who've you know, um, had, a, had a heart attack or got cancer or so forth uh, or, or had um, difficulties with depression or so forth, it's such a common cause for them to get started with meditation. But moreover, if they practice for a while, and this is one of the interesting transformations, is they end up saying, you know, that that cancer or that heart attack or that uh, depression, I'm so glad it happened. It was like it, it became that spur to get started. Hmm. To live life how I really want to live. Um, mm, yes. And yeah, I've, I've heard that all the time, uh, so much, so much. Um, and people say the same thing about their experience of depression having come out the other end or the experience of enormous amounts of anxiety or panic attack and learning how to work with that. Um, they've said the same thing. They wouldn't be the same person. They wouldn't be as compassionate a person had they not experienced that themselves. Yes. It's interesting, and it's like the curse, what they thought was a curse, ends up being perceived as a gift, mm, um, mm. which is quite interesting. Look, I have a, um, a hypothesis that I want to put to you, uh, someone with more experience and training than myself, uh, but I have a little bit of experience. I'm a secondary school teacher, and one of the things I've noticed, uh, apart from the fact that it seems that um, uh, mental health issues like anxiety and depression are becoming more common, uh, one of the other things I've noticed is that often those who are suffering from anxiety or depression in particular, I find them to be spiritually sensitive young people. And by that, I mean they're more idealistic about how they should be and have maybe impossibly high standards or how the world should be, and often they have more empathy. Could it be that mental illness in some cases is a sign of a spiritually sensitive soul feeling a bit lost and alone in a chaotic human world. What do you think? Um, I'd rather rephrase that question. Go, go right ahead. <laughs> Could it be that the experiencing of the poignant, our poignant existence, that 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 attunement sensitivity to our poignant existence, could that be a spur to a spiritual um, um, our quest, absolutely. Um, I guess I, I know we are talking about mental illness, but I, I'm, I'm I'm just very cognizant of the fact that it can be a very um, stigmatizing phrase. So I'm just cognizant of that. Um, could it be? Yes, there there's certainly a lot of people who are very very sensitive and to to the difficulties of our existence to the reality of the um, 
um, of our existence. And that spurs them into that powerlessness um, that I mentioned before um, associated with that term. Whereas when they realize um, that it is possible for them to learn to recognize that that very sensitivity is going to be their um, their vehicle for awakening because that sensitivity mm. means that they have high awareness and their, their introspective awareness. And that awareness is exactly what would spur them to seek answers, to seek the end of suffering, to seek the end of their stress. Um, and that very sensitivity that is the bane of the existence, perhaps as a teenager, is going to be the thing that carries them through to um, to this whole path. So, and, yeah. Well, I think that's, I really like the way you phrase that. And I was just thinking to myself, do you think that if uh, young people were perhaps aware that the qualities that they have, which appear to be causing them suffering and grief, may actually be the same qualities that could lead them uh, as you say, to to awakenings in 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 life. Absolutely. Well, um, yeah, um, I th I think. Well, I mean, I'll just change that that statement just a little bit. Um, the the suffering, um, rather than the the, the qualities that are causing them suffering, because they they are causing mm. them suffering. They're not just appearing to. They are causing them suffering. Those very qualities are, again good and they can be good or bad they can be beneficial right. or detrimental and at the moment there um these young people are at the mercy of these their sensitivities and they don't know what to do with it but with the right training they can actually recognize and appreciate these qualities for what they are which gives them the choice to actually um, move in a direction which is more beneficial to their lives right okay well, thank you for that. And also, um, now that we've talked about perhaps um, trying to think about the context, let's start to talk about what can be done to transform the situation in terms of spiritual practice. So what kind of advice could you offer people like listeners who, who may themselves be suffering from some forms of mental illness? What advice would you offer them to get started on their path of spiritual development i would i would start by encouraging them to acknowledge that whatever they're experiencing um, i think frequently on this path there's a lot of spiritual bypassing where we kind of think oh yeah that's not spiritual enough this is just psychological let's just but this is the higher path and i don't think that um, delineation is is useful. I think whatever you're experiencing is real. Being aware of what you're experiencing is the first step. So first, and of course, immediately people say, I'm very aware of it. I want it to go away. I say, great. Therefore, you've noticed that this is what's happening and the mind is going, I don't want, I don't want. There's a resistance to that. So now we've got two parts of the process that you've now um, told me um, you've reported the awareness of the issue and the mind state of 
um, resistance to the issue, both very, very important in this path. So, but at the start, I would really encourage people to appreciate when they are aware of what's happening. Because when they're aware of what's happening, they have a choice to direct their attention somewhere else. So for example, if they're aware that they're incredibly anxious at the moment and going into overwhelm, they have a choice to actually choose to take a few deeper breaths, longer out breaths, and take their anxiety down a notch. They have that choice just through a shift in attention towards a breath. Or they have a choice to, um, they're noticing a huge amount of overwhelm, Note, look out and notice, oh, it's sunny. And I can smell that lovely spring air coming through. They have a choice to direct their attention to something that's more beneficial to them. Through that awareness, through that mindfulness awareness, they are able to um, orbit around the experience as opposed to being pulled into the gravitational pull of the experience and thereby being stuck in it. So every time they feel overwhelmed, that means they're in the experience. When they're aware that they're overwhelmed, that they, then they're at the meta level where they can have that choice. And exercising that choice at that point is crucial. So it sounds to me like you're, you're um, more mostly starting with mindfulness practices. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do very much start with um, mindfulness practice. I, I don't, I mean, I sometimes use the word mindfulness, but I usually hmm. use the word awareness just because um, in a lot of definitions of mindfulness, they conflate awareness and attention, and I very clearly differentiate the two. Um, so, um, yes, I very much encourage people to, because it's, it's very natural. Everyone is aware because we are conscious. Pe people say, oh, I'm not mindful enough. And then they report a whole bunch of different things to me. And I have to highlight to them that the fact that they could mm -hmm. report all these things that are happening means they are aware and therefore they're sufficiently mindful. Now they need to do, know, know what to do with that mindfulness. Yeah, it's sort of something I find with people who are starting um, practicing mindfulness is they often say, well, I can't do this. Um, but actually, it's perhaps they've got a really narrow idea of what success of mindfulness is like. Yeah. And um, maybe they need to like broaden their awareness or broaden their idea of what success in successful mindfulness is. Yeah. And, and then particularly with more experienced practitioners, they have a very, very narrow definition of what my real mindfulness is, you know, when you are aware of awareness and, you know, it kind of just goes on to this tiny little thing that happened on day six of that retreat uh, at, at that hour. And that's their definition. And thereafter, nothing compares. Any form of comparison mm. is going to lead them to uh, more dukkha, more suffering. Um, so, <laughs> so um, you know, I, I have to remind people that you're just aware. Awareness doesn't care what you're aware of. It's only you that cares. Yeah. It's only you uh, who... Mm -hmm. I really also liked what you were saying by drawing their attention to all the things that they notice because um, why would we exclude those things as being part of our mindfulness? Yeah. You know, like I noticed that, you know, the color of the, the sky and the clouds as I came in or do you know what I mean? Like that, Absolutely. that counts. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that count, including awareness of thoughts and feelings that arise. They may have That's been right. unpleasant feelings, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it was bad mindfulness. It was still good. Exactly. Plus, yeah. people often privilege their bad experiences that they they notice and totally neglect all the wonderful experiences that they have in life. There's, there's a there's a lack of balance in what they notice because of their, their perceptions are inclined towards noticing. You know, I often say to my students, I mean, my students are fantastic. I mean, I, I just wish they could all see themselves the way I see them. They're absolutely wonderful. Um, and they're 99.999% perfect. But some of mm. them only see that tiny little percentage of things that need to be worked on. And I think that's a real shame. So awareness or mindfulness opens one to all the reality of life, good and bad, things to improve on, th things to um, continue cultivating, you know, the four, four efforts. Um, so, um, yeah, I, 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 just, I just think it'd be, it'd be really, really lovely if people could start being aware of all the things that, well, not privileging only certain things over others. Right, right. Now, I'd like to take just one further step. We've talked about awareness or mm -hmm. mindfulness. Uh, I want to talk about meditation, you know, which often means sitting down, closing your eyes. And there are different things, of course, that we can meditate on. But should people who have mental health problems, should they meditate, do you think? And you can yeah, qualify I mean, that if, if you want. Yeah, so, so let, let, let's just start with um, a bit of a definition, I guess, um, of, of meditation and the way I see meditation. I see meditation as a training of the mind in awareness and attention and, and really ideally the optimal in, interaction between awareness and attention in order to benefit you. And, mm. and so... Um, so if, so let's say, and so there are different ways of meditating. As I said before, metta, loving kindness meditation is good for all. There is no disadvantage whatsoever in cultivating more kindness in your life to yourself and to people around you. There is no harm whatsoever. So that is definitely a form of meditation that everyone can engage in on the cushion and off the cushion. Um, there are other forms of meditation that um, perhaps at different stages might not be quite as suitable for different people. So would you, are there any specific mental illnesses that you'd like me to talk about? Well, are there any that you think, uh, it, well, let me first ask, is it more a case of intensity of uh, the mental illness or are there specific illnesses that you think perhaps we should have approached with a bit of caution like um, perhaps mm -hmm. they need to be make sure they're taking their medication first or what, what are your thoughts yeah yeah I mean if, if if people need to be on medication they should always be taking their medication first and foremost mm. and and then they can continue cultivating their mind I mean meditation is just a cultivation of mind so they can continue cultivating their mind and, you know, I named metta, but, you know, they're the whole 10 paramis they can be cultivating. They're, they're the Brahma Viharas. There are lots of things, aspects of the mind that they can be cultivating. Um, and that I 
put in the category of meditation as well. Um, so, so there are lots of different ways of cultivating mind, but yes, definitely. If they're on medication, stay on medication. Don't just suddenly drop medication just because you think that meditation is not something that replaces something else. It's something that adds to life. Hmm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, then maybe I should re, re come at that question in a slightly different way because mm -hmm. I'm trying to take uh, the experience of mental illness seriously and not in a, yep. in a flippant manner. Yep. Um, uh, are there some risks perhaps which might arise when meditating? And I'm just thinking here, uh, people who may have had a traumatic experience. I mean, this it can happen that, you know, mm. some pretty powerful feelings can just spontaneously arise whilst meditating. Yeah. If something like that were to occur, uh, or one that feels like one's about to have a panic attack, what would be a good next step at that time if one was happened when I was meditating? In the midst of meditation? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, if if something very powerful, if a very powerful emotion arises in the midst of meditation, I often encourage my students to make space for it. Make space for it rather than getting too up close and personal and getting consumed by it. So um, I gave this analogy last week or a couple of weeks ago to some, some students. Um, can you hold your experience of that traumatic that traumatic memory or um, or strong emotion from a cauldron of loving kindness from a cauldron of compassion my job when I was a psychotherapist was always to be that vessel to hold the pain of my clients in the same and through that process my clients learned that it was possible to have the pain and have the experience held and through that process they learned to hold their own experiences in that same way i would say that's the same thing in in meditation sometimes you need to be able to learn to hold that space for yourself having said that go seek help as well go mm. to uh, uh, when you get off that cushion, when you um, go ask the teacher, go ask the um, the um, go find a therapist, because sometimes it's useful and actually essential for other people to hold space for you, so that you know that you're not alone. Frequently, particularly in meditation, people think that they're alone, they're, that they are alone in that experience, that they're alone in that um, their the depths of their sorrow but they are not. And mm. in fact, there's no human experience, um, no human emotion that's not been experienced by everyone else. And there right. are people who know how to work with this and can teach you. And that's, that's what people need to um, learn to be with. I think that's excellent advice. I mean, talk to your meditation teacher. They may have some adv good advice or experience. But also, as you say, if, if it's if you feel that it's a good idea and it may be, it's go talk to a psychotherapist. They may be of great, great benefit. Um, stepping away from meditation for a moment, um, are there spiritual practices apart from meditation that can be beneficial in the long run for those who have mental illness? Um, spiritual practices, did you say? Or any yeah, practices? Yes, spiritual practices. 
well, your know, spiritual, I mean, spiritual practices are more than just meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any others that you think could be, you know, yes, you said it's all about developing the mind, mm-hmm. but that doesn't just mean sitting on a cushion and closing your eyes. Is there anything yep. else that you think could be beneficial? Yeah, I mean, I actually think community is one of the most important things having a group of like-minded people um you know in terms of a spiritual seeker we are we are a minority in the world and Hmm. frequently people feel like they are again alone in this whole process but they are so not um there are a lot of there are a lot of us in the world and um and it be it's always nice to be able to commune with other like-minded people so i actually think community is really really essential and it doesn't really matter whether it's an online community um or um or in person i mean personally all my i do all my teaching online so and and i've got really fantastic students who who bond in a way that i'm not sure they i mean i don't think i'll actually physically meet a lot of my students because they're all over the world but it's that that communion is actually really really beautiful and it um it reminds us of how connected we really are um as i frequently say we are not the nodes of a network we are the connections right um that's a really great answer um i'd like to kind of wrap things up but with with um a particular kind of thought uh, based on your own experience, either personally or with uh, your your students, what do you what are some of the benefits of spiritual practice? And I think this is a really important point. We've talked about uh, some of the challenges of dealing with mental illness, but practicing it in a spiritual way can be incredibly fulfilling. Uh, what have you observed, either in yourself or in your students? Uh, in terms of the transformation that can occur over time? Um, I think it starts off with students being comfortable in their own skin, um, really comfortable in their own skin. And then it deepens to a profound connection with themselves and other people and all around them. And in fact, the, the universe and that but it, I think it really does start with that comfort in their own, um, being comfortable in your own skin. A lot of people are trying to um, escape their experiences and being able to, again, hold our experiences in each moment. And I'm cautious not to say in every moment, I'm saying in each moment, one moment at a time, can this experience be okay just the way it is. Being able to rest in that total acceptance of this experience allows people to connect more deeply with themselves and others. And I think that's the most profound change that um, my students um, experience. Right. Thank you very much, Leanne. I really appreciate that you've taken the time to share your experience and wisdom with us on Treasure Mountain Podcast. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us for this episode of Treasure Mountain with Leanne Tang. You can find out more about Leanne, including links to her website, 
which is www.freeingourmind.com and other ways to get in touch with her by following the links in the description below this episode. Also, you can find out more about Treasure Mountain Podcast by going to treasuremountain.info where you can also find previous episodes and information about all our guests. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to Treasure Mountain Podcast using your favorite podcast app in order to get notified about future episodes. And don't forget to tell your friends about Treasure Mountain too. I'll have more inspiring guests and topics in the coming weeks. And until then, may you find the treasure within you.